Our text this afternoon is Revelation 8, verse 13 through 9, verse 11. We are continuing where we left off from this morning. Revelation 8, verse 13 through 9, verse 11. As I watched... I heard an angel that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, Smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. So far, our text. After the sermon, let's sing together. Hymn 35, stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the last verse of Revelation 8, which we have included as part of our text, reads as follows. As I watched, I heard an angel that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Now this morning we focused on the first four trumpets and the judgments which came down on the earth from our Lord Jesus Christ as a result. They were terrible judgments. We saw why Jesus Christ brought that on the earth. In the first place, he is not to be mocked. If the world wants to sin before him and reject him, he will punish them. But we also saw the mercy of Jesus Christ, because through these judgments, he's also trying to stir the world awake so that men and women and teenagers and boys and girls 
will repent and be saved. But all those judgments are not having effect, not good effect. Hearts are not changing. Hearts are not, are not softening, but they're getting harder. Progressively, they are turning more and more away from the Lord and living in sin, living in immorality and violence against the church of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the judgments of Jesus Christ are about to increase. They are about to intensify. And that's what we're seeing here in verse 13 with that, with that eagle flying in the sky, crying out, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The eagle represents judgment. There's a bird of prey. You hear him crying over the earth, warning them, you are about to receive the judgments of Jesus Christ as you have never experienced it before. Now, at the risk of sounding very foolish, I would like to imitate the sound that that eagle made in the original Greek. You have to imagine that eagle flying there in the sky. People see him. Everybody hears him. And he makes an eerie cry. He screeches out, Why? 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 I know I'm not doing it very well, but it sounds a little bit like the cry of an eagle. And it's spooky. It's eerie. The word means woe. The word means trouble. Judgments are about to descend on this world, which will make your hair stand on end. Those judgments come because of the sinfulness of the world. But still, there is a measure of patience and mercy by our Lord Jesus Christ. As terrible as these judgments are, the intention is still to stir people up and bring them to repentance. And as we also mentioned this morning, for us as Christians, it opens our eyes to life, to our world, the world in which we live with the ups and the downs, the good things and the, and the bad things and the horrible things. It's not a world that has run amok. It's not a world where everything has gone awry. Christ is king. He's running the show. He is managing everything, and he is doing these things for the glory of his own name, the salvation of his people, and to reach out to the world and give them an opportunity to repent before it's too late. We look at our text under this theme. The fifth angel blows his trumpet, and a star falls from heaven to earth. And we will see the star is given a key to the abyss, the star opens the abyss, and the star torments earth dwellers with the opened abyss. As we look at our text this afternoon, it's important to remember what we mentioned this morning. Something that's mentioned from the moment you open up, open up the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, we have here a vision. And the vision is filled with symbolism. And you cannot take it Literally, if you do and you look at these locusts, these supernatural locusts who seem to be on steroids, look like horses, faces of men with stingers in their tails, if you want to take that literally and wait for, for them to appear, well, you can wait forever because you'll never see anything literally exactly like that. This is an image which is supposed to stir us to attention and try to understand the point that our Lord Jesus Christ is making to us. And you might wonder, well, why doesn't Jesus Christ speak plainly? Plain Greek, 
plain English. Well, let's try that for a second. We will replace the book of Revelation with this line. Jesus Christ says, Satan is bad, I'm good. He'll get in your trouble, I'll save you. You get the message? Well, yeah, that's, that's the truth. That's what Revelation is saying. But how many hearts will that stir up? How much attention will that get? And when you start to meet these supernatural locusts who come out of hell itself, when you start to read about the dragon and the beast that comes out of the sea, these are images that are over the top. These are the most fierce, bizarre, horrifying images ever brought to the minds of people. But it makes you understand the devil and this broken world It's not a small thing. It's not like a fender bender. It's not like breaking a a toenail or having to go to the dentist. We're talking about monsters. We're talking about life and death. Satan is a dragon. His demons are like these fire-breathing locusts. Be aware of how dangerous they are and how dangerous is our world. What we have here, brothers and sisters, is a portal, an opening, a window of opportunity to look into an invisible world, to see the kingdom of heaven pitted against the kingdom of the evil one, light against darkness, heaven against hell. Our eyes are opened. Surely we're going to see the truth now, and it will give us freedom and give us comfort. We read what John saw when the fifth trumpet was sounded. I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. That's a very difficult line. Almost everybody's agreed that the star represents an angel. The difficulty is, is it a good angel or a bad angel? Some say because he is the ambassador of Jesus, he's got to be good. Others say because he opens the abyss, he's got to be bad. Actually, it's a non-issue when we read in our text that the star, the angel, was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, given to him by Jesus Christ. We know Jesus Christ is in control here. He's doing this. He's managing this. And that angel is his instrument. And it doesn't matter if it's a good angel or a bad angel. That's besides the point. Still, we gather this must be a bad angel, one of the demons, one of the fallen spirits who followed Satan. We gather that from the little expression, had fallen. The image here is that the angel is ejected, dumped unceremoniously from heaven. You know, it's not an angel who descends, who comes, he's booted out. We're reminded of what our Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 10 when his disciples came to him and said, Lord, we cast out demons. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Well, if Satan was falling, even in the ministry of Jesus Christ, when demons were cast out, how much more when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and poured out his Holy Spirit, that Satan is thrown out of heaven. He's got no right to be there. He's got no business opening his mouth. He is powerless before the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. 
So this star, this angel that is ejected from heaven, is either Satan himself or one of his chief lieutenants. Is also described in the last verse of our text. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew was Abaddon and in Greek Apollyon. And we'll read, we'll talk more about that later in our sermon. Now to this person, Satan, or one of his lieutenants, was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. What is the abyss? That is a word, it's a term that has gone through some development in the history of redemption. Originally, the abyss meant bottomless, like the sea. The sea is so deep, you, you can't touch the bottom. It seems like there's no, no floor to the ocean. But with time, it also began to mean the grave or the realm of the dead, a lot like Sheol or Hades. But even later, it became the term for the holding room of all the demons and all the fallen angels. We read in Jude 6, And the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So the fallen angels, the demons, they are bound and they are held in a particular location, and that is the abyss. This is the precursor to hell, Gehenna, the lake of fire. This is the place where the fallen angels and Satan are being kept. Now, Jesus Christ gives the key to Satan or to one of his chief lieutenants. The key that will open up the door to the shaft to that room, which is the abyss. That key is only Jesus to give. Because we read in Revelation 1 about Jesus Christ, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Satan is absolutely powerless. He can't lift a finger. He can't open his mouth. He can't go after anybody unless the King Jesus Christ allows it to happen. In fact, we read in Revelation 20 that Satan himself was seized with a great chain and thrown in the abyss for the thousand years, which is the entire time between the first and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But now permission is given to open the abyss. The key is handed to Satan, and he doesn't have to think twice. Gleefully, Satan grabs that key, he unlocks the door, and at that moment, in a manner of speaking, all hell breaks loose on earth itself. We would ask Jesus Christ, what do you think you're doing? Why would you do a thing like that? Why open hell? Why let the demons loose? Why put the world in such danger and torment? Well, that's exactly the point that we learned in verse 13. The judgments of Jesus Christ have come unto this world. People aren't paying attention. People aren't noticing. People aren't waking up and saying, Oh, I, I need peace, which is in the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ intensifies the judgments and suffering of the world. The world says, Give us the devil. 
Give us hell. And Jesus Christ says, you're going to get what you ask for. You want a taste of hell? I'll give you hell. You want to meet the devil? You want to, you want to feel the power of demons all around you and in your life? You want that? You got it. You're going to feel judgment that will make hair stand on your neck. I will bring things upon you that you will realize how horrible the devil is and how horrible is a life apart from me, apart from the holiness of living to my praise and my glory. We understand why Jesus Christ is doing this. It's not just a matter of he's out to get the world, to hurt it. He's out to wake the world up, make them realize what they really need and what they really should hunger for. Meanwhile, as Christians, because that's one thing about this passage, when, when the demons are released from the abyss, they attack the unbelieving world. But those who are sealed are protected. As believers, we watch our world. We watch all hell break loose. We see what the demons are doing. We see how people are suffering. And like the people in Egypt, the people of Israel and Egypt, who watched the Egyptians suffer, they realize more and more the great exodus is coming. The great day is drawing near, brothers and sisters. With all this rotten, miserable stuff in our world, we are reminded Christ is coming. He is coming quickly to bring us home into everlasting glory. And therefore, we are even comforted in midst of all the suffering and torment of life. That brings us to our second point, the star opens the abyss. It comes to no, as no surprise to us that Satan, the, the destroyer, the moment he gets the key, he opens the door to the abyss. He does what he does best. He does what, what he wants to do. And that's create mayhem. We read that when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. This is an image of hell. The door has been opened. The fire is burning. Black smoke belches from the open door of hell. It stinks like hell. It looks like hell, and it darkens the light. This is an image, an image of delusion and deception, of sin and misery, of moral darkness and degradation that is descending upon the world. Now, the opening of the abyss translates into some horrible things that now unfold on the earth. We read, And out of the smoke locusts come down upon the earth, and we're given power like that of scorpions of the earth. As soon as we hear this, we are reminded of the plagues in Egypt, and also what we read together in Joel 1 and 2. The plague of the locusts was God's judgment on his own people to punish them, to stir them awake, and lead them to repentance. Now, unfortunately for most of us, this plague is lost on us because we simply don't know what locusts are like. Oh, we all know what a locust is. We've all heard about them. You may have even seen some locusts. But if you had lived back in those days in that area, you'd have had a completely different view of it. You can imagine that you had a, a town somewhere in the Near East, Israel, or Lebanon, Syria, one of those places. 
farmer has been tending his crop. Everything's growing beautifully, and the husband comes into his home, and he says to his wife, Dear, crop is growing well. We are going to have lots of food. There's going to be food for everybody. The whole town, the whole country is going to do well. Then they hear a sound. It's a droning. It's a horrifying sound. It sounds like a marching army. And the farmer steps out his door, and he sees a black wall advancing. It extends for miles in every direction. It is high, and as it comes closer, he realizes it's taller than he, it's taller than his house, it's taller than any tree. It is a swarm of locusts, and they move through in minutes. They eat every leaf, every ear of grain, they gobble up absolutely everything, and they travel through, and nothing is left. And the farmer looks at his wife, and he says, My dear, now we die. And die they did. They died by the tens and the hundreds of thousands. You know, we we think today that it's a a horrible thing, and it is when you have a tsunami that takes out a quarter million people. That sort of thing happened routinely back in those days, in a world when there weren't so many people. Hundreds of thousands of people died. This was the most horrible plague imaginable for human beings in those days. And it is an apt image for demons, like locusts swarm out and gobble up life, so the demons, they come out the open door of the abyss, they come straight out of hell, swarming, gobbling, devouring, destroying everything in their path. We understand that we're not talking here about literal locusts. This is an image to impress upon us the ferocity of Satan and his fallen angels, his demons. The intention of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is running this world, who is given the key to Satan, is made very clear when we read in verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And then we read, they were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. So we see here that the demons are under strict orders from Jesus Christ himself. The key has been handed over, but no demon could do anything more than Jesus Christ allows. And Jesus Christ says, you do not harm the believers. You do not harm those who have been sealed in the blood and spirit of the Lamb. But the world, it's all yours. Don't go after the trees. Don't go after the grass or the vegetation. You locusts, you demons, you super powerful beings, you don't go after the vegetation. You go after people. Go after the souls of men. Psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, gobble up, devour people and destroy their lives. Go ahead. The world's there for you. We pause. We need to pause. Satan is given license to go after the unbelieving world, to torment it, to degrade it, to mock it. Why would Satan do that? These are the people who have sworn allegiance to him. Why does he hurt them? That's what he does. You see, Satan hates God. He hates creation. 
He hates man who has been created in the image of God. And if man is so stupid that he wants to follow Satan, Satan will attack him and hurt him only more. Satan is not doing his thing because he likes people. He hates If he likes people, he would say, people don't follow me. I'll just bring you down. Go to Jesus. He's your hope. He's your victory. He's your salvation. Your comfort for body and soul and life and death. No, Satan hides that. And he goes after people, the very people who have sworn allegiance to them. And he said, you want hell? I come from hell and I'll drag you down to hell. I'll make your life a torment here and then for eternity I'll bring you into the lake of fire where you will weep and gnash your teeth eternally. The judgments which have been unfolded by our Lord Jesus Christ with the sounding of the fifth trumpet is more horrible than anything we can imagine. This is Satan unleashed. This is the demons of the world having a license to go after the unbelieving people of the world. Have at them, says Jesus Christ. Go attack them. Of course, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ is not just judging them and trying to destroy them, but wake them up. Meet the devil. Do you like him? Do you like what he has to offer you? I got something better than that. And that brings us to our third and final point. The star torments earth dwellers with the open abyss. Now, John describes these creatures. The very fact that as John describes these locusts, he keeps using the word like, suggests that John really couldn't get a handle on describing them. It's so horrific. He tries to describe them as best as they can. He says these locusts look like horses. I just checked it out on Google. Images, locusts, you know, if you look at them, they do look a bit like a horse. But these are war horses. Fierce, killing machines. Crowns on their head to suggest their victory. The faces of men. You see, ultimately, Satan and his demons want to be superior to men. Hair like women. In days of old, warriors often had long, straggly hair. They looked like wild women. And as they came charging into battle, they terrified people. The teeth like a lion. Breastplate, uh, breastplate of, of iron. The teeth like a lion. This formidable army. And in their tail was a stinger like a scorpion. And they could sting for five months. Now, when a scorpion stings a baby or a child, a child can die. Adults, if you're healthy, you don't die from a scorpion sting, but you suffer horribly. The pain is unbelievable. And these scorpions, these demons, are allowed to sting for five months. It doesn't sound like a long period of time, but typically locusts don't stick around for more than a few hours or a few days. So it is a long time. It's not forever. Because Jesus Christ is not yet trying to destroy the world. But these demons are allowed to attack people, to torment them, to make their lives painful, to make it cheap, and to make it horrific. And it goes on and on and on. It will be so bad that we read, during those days men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. 
Life becomes so horrific. People just wish they were dead. And they may contemplate suicide. Really, not too many people do commit suicide. And if they do, it's often related to depression. Amazing that people might hold a gun or a knife or a pill or have something metal ready to pull in a socket, but they don't do it. There's something about life. It's very difficult to stop. It's very difficult to end your life. So as, as horrific as life has become, people put up with it. But boy, oh boy, they wish they were dead. So far, brothers and sisters, we've talked in generalities. We've talked about why Jesus Christ is bringing these judgments, also trying to shake the world up and get it to repent. We see why Satan and his demons are doing what they're, what they're doing, because they're all about hurt, hurt, hurt. And we see the world being persecuted and tormented relentlessly. And yet, we say, we understand the language here. We understand the image, but how is our world suffering? We're not talking about Christians, we're talking about unbelievers. How are they suffering? If I look around at Canada and I look at my neighbor, I see people healthy, happy, living the good life, a nice home, a good car, great vacation. How are they suffering? How are they being tormented? Where is the sting? in their life that goes on day after day, month after month. Asaph had that same question and problem in Psalm 73 when he said, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Asaph said, The world is living the good life. In a superficial glance, we say Canadians, our world is living the good life. They may reject God, doesn't seem to hurt them a bit. But brothers and sisters, when we read our our text, and we read about the attacks of the demons, when hell itself opens up and attacks the world, we're not reading about physical injury. You read nowhere of blood or broken bones or open gashes on the body. We're talking about a psychological, spiritual damage. Where is this thing for our world? How are demons attacking a typical, unbelieving Canadian? Well, you ask your your typical person living in modern-day culture, what makes you happy? What is your security? They'll say something like, my education, my career, the amount of money I make, and the possessions that I have. I measure my success by my career and by my possessions. Sting right there. They got it right from the tail of the devil, right in their soul. Is that happiness? Is that life, material possessions? 
Never have time for your wife and your children. Never will stand there at Mustard Seed Church. Never be involved in important things in church and school and community. It's about money. It's about possessions. It's about the status you have in life. And that one day you're old and you wake up and you say, I got a lot of money, but my wife left me a long time ago or she hates me. And my kids, all they want me to do is to die so they can have my money. That's the sting. That's the delusion. That's the deception that Satan has brought upon our society. And how many people in our society haven't tried to find their comfort, their peace in the bottle, in drugs, in pornography, in gambling, in violence, in belonging to a gang? Look at Edmonton. Look at our society and our culture. You see that the stings of demons are, are jabbing into people left, right, and center, destroying life in this way. It was a short week and a half ago when I was preparing this sermon. We read of another Sudanese young man killed, murdered in Edmonton. Known to the Sudanese brothers and sisters, the New Air people, who are worshiping with us in Providence. They escape the horrors of Sudan. They escape war. They, they escape brutality and butchery. But what they're seeing over and over again is their own young people coming to this country where they simply say there's too much money that they just hand out to you. And these young people, they escape the war in Sudan only to be met here by the war of Satan and get involved in a, in a culture of violence, of drugs, and of death itself. These are the stings of Satan and his demons. He is described in the last verse of our text, they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. A word in Greek and in Hebrew basically means the destroyer. That's what Satan is. That's what his demons are. That's what hell is. It's destruction of the soul. Destruction of the entire person. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he is using Satan and demons to rattle, shake up this world. But Jesus Christ doesn't have to tell Satan what, what to do. He knows what to do. He loves it. He is out to destroy. You remember what we mentioned in our sermon this morning, brothers and sisters. We would never pray for anybody to be hurt. Never pray for anyone to, to be caught up in a, a culture of the devil or to be involved in a, a horrific accident. But when we look at our world... We look at Canada, we look at Edmonton, and see all the garbage and the filth that has consumed humanity. We humbly and carefully say, there is also the work of Jesus Christ. That world wants hell? Taste it. Smell it. Feel it. When will you wake up and want to be free from the power of devil, sin, and death. One thing is clear from our text, that this judgment is for the unbelieving earth dwellers. 
those who have been sealed with the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ will be protected and preserved. And that doesn't mean that Satan never attacks us. He doesn't give us a wide berth because we belong to Jesus Christ. He attacks us as well. The only thing is, and Jesus Christ explained this in Luke 10 when his disciples said, we cast out demons. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Satan attacks us as well, trying to seduce us, to delude us, to pull us into temptation, to pull us under the power of sin. And and sometimes we yield. Also, good Christian people can get addicted to the bottle, commit immorality, be involved in violence, get caught up in the filth and destruction of pornography or gambling. But the thing is, when we hold on in faith to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will always protect us. We may fall sometimes so deeply that you think that you're walking absolutely in the dark, ridden valley of the shadow of death. But Christ will raise us up, wash us clean in his blood, renew us by the power of the Holy Spirit, enable us to fight again against Satan. And we can defeat him. And you defeat Satan not with your fist, not with a knife, not with a gun, but by looking him right in the eye and saying, I'm looking at you, and I know what you're about. I smell the stink of you from the fires of hell, and I want nothing to do with you. I want to serve my Lord Jesus Christ. And we can, we can live life that way, brothers and sisters, with dignity and holiness and praise and glory for our God. We can have money too. Don't live for it. Enjoy it. Use it for the kingdom of heaven. And use your life for other things. Love your wife or your husband and your children. Get out there to the mustard seed church and be involved helping the homeless and poverty people in our community. Be involved in church and school and society to serve our Lord. And as for the foolishness, of yielding your life to drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality, well, you know what that is. It's just plain stupidity and wrong. And in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, you can overcome that as well. Hell may have its presence in this world. See it. Be free from it. And recognize that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming. On the great day when the last trumpet is sounded and he returns, he will take Satan and all those demons and everybody who has yielded to them and put them into the lake of fire. And we say this with humility. There they will weep and gnash their teeth eternally. But we, by the grace of God, every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Never again hurt, never again attacked but able forever to live to the praise and the glory of our God. Amen.